You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Try to put yourself in my shoes a bit. I'm from Philadelphia and I know of Roots, but there's something different between knowing of and actually seeing you in your house. Uh, When I see you in your house, I remember you. So when I go back to Philadelphia, you will somehow be etched on my soul. So it's a, it's a great privilege to, to be with you. And to think about very important matters and how Jesus speaks to those important matters. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to actually start with, with you and then move to Scripture. We want to see how, how real life, the difficulties and hardships of real life, how we can move them into Scripture where Scripture comes alive. And we're going to start, as Alec mentioned, with fears and anxieties. Now, this, what we're doing this morning, it will, it, it will not be profitable if you can't locate fears and anxieties in your own life. So any, anybody I need to persuade of uh, their own fears and anxieties, um, well, perhaps, perhaps we should. Because the nature of fears and anxieties what is sometimes it takes a little bit of time to find one. But once you find it, you can find them everywhere. And so let's, let's take a little bit of time as a way to prepare ourselves for the text. But we're going to prepare ourselves by first being able to identify the troubles that, that sometimes are so much a part of our life we get accustomed to it. Life without fear, C.S. Lewis talks about this. Life without fear, is, is, it's, that's what heaven is. Well, that's, you know, that's how the, the Narnia tales went. Fear is because you are a mere human being and you are vulnerable in a world that is indeed dangerous. There is nothing that you are able to control. Things might seem as though they're predictable now, but but you recognize that, that we are truly vulnerable people. Fears tend to identify the things that are most important to us. Uh, grades, money, relationships. Uh, here's, here's bad news for you. I'm older than, than many of you. What happens when you get older is your fears multiply. They don't... They don't <laughs> I, 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 sh- I shouldn't have even said it. I shouldn't have even said it. But you understand how this goes. When I was by myself, it was, well... What, what school am I going to go to? Or is this particular person going to like me? Those, you know, there are other fears than that. But then I get married to somebody. And, and I love her. And all of a sudden, I realize I could lose her. Or we could have challenges in our relationship. Then we have children. And, and then you have more people that you can love. And then you have grandchildren. And then you have people in your church. And you realize the brevity of life. And... And how we are, we can't control anything. To be a human being is to be afraid. Is to know anxiety. Scripture assumes such a thing. So as a result, you can, you can find it in every little tiny soul. My grandchildren, what are some of the recent fears? 
Well, the, and the common one is burglars. That's, that's their language, burglars. They, they've never met a burglar. They've never, they've never experienced a burglar coming into their own home. But somehow they're, they're deathly afraid of burglars. Burgle, I, I'm starting to speak their language. You know what I'm speaking, the people who rob and things like that. That's what I'm speaking about. That's one. Another is a, actually a more mature fear that in a 10-year-old I wasn't anticipating. One of her fears is she won't get a good night's sleep. And so it, it doesn't that seem quite very mature? Where it, it's, you know, if she's, if it's 12 o'clock at night and she's not asleep, she starts getting fearful of the next day. I'm going to be tired for the next day. I'm not going to be able to do well in school. And fears are everywhere. Fears of loss, fear, fears of life, loss of life, your own, those around you, loss of relationships, uh, income being vulnerable. The, how are you doing? You feeling it? You feeling it? Should I go on? Are you, 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 okay. I'm going to assume that you are able to identify your fears and anxieties. And by the way, this is not simply a preamble to the scripture. This is, this is going to be an essential part of where Scripture guides us. Because we have a God who, who does not say that the troubles of life, well, they're no big deal because the time is coming when there will be no more troubles. He's the God who takes our troubles so seriously that he beseeches us to put words on them. And that's the passage we're going to go, go into. So, so what we're doing now is, is truly profoundly spiritual to speak, to identify the struggles, the fears and anxieties in our soul and then see where God moves us. So let's begin with that and then let's move to a scripture. The scripture that we're going to look at today is, I don't know exactly why it's chosen. And one reason it's chosen is because it doesn't mention the word fear and anxiety. So it becomes an occasion for us to... Let's say you're reading through the Psalms and, and you've, you've recognized these fears in your own life. And so you're coming to the Psalms asking a question, Jesus, speak to me about my fears and anxieties. And let's say Psalm 130 is your reading for the day. And that's where, you, where we will ask Jesus to, to speak to us in the midst of fears and anxieties. It's, it's a song of a sense. That means you are either coming to Jerusalem for a feast or you're leaving Jerusalem from the feast. Either way, your heart has been nourished. Essentially, now we're going to be inserting Jesus in all of this psalm as indeed scripture authorizes. You have have just known, you've remembered what your God has done for you. So your heart is somewhat full. That's the psalm of of a sense. As you're walking together, one of the benefits of this psalm is it, it's a very open invitation. It, it, it speaks, the only way, the only, the only entrance requirement for Psalm 130 is you have to feel occasionally like life is too much to bear. Like you cannot go on another day. That's, that's the entrance requirement. If you feel like you have life managed really quite well, you're living on the surface of life and and don't realize all the anxieties and vulnerabilities underneath. Psalm 130 
want you to dig a little bit to find those vulnerabilities. There are four stanzas to this particular passage. Four, we could call them movements, sort of musical movements, but, but actual movements. The psalm is going to guide you. A very mature voice is going to guide you. It's a simple psalm, but, but the person who's guiding you has been there before you. So he's, 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 he's going to pull you along. It's open to all of us. So come in to Psalm 130, those who know something of their fears and anxieties. It starts this way, as do so many of the Psalms. You cry out to the Lord. You cry out to him. And, and by the way, we could stop at any one of these stanzas and it would be enough for us. This is, here's something that's very simple. You're familiar with it, but it is harder to do than you realize. Uh, I'll use some personal illustrations today because it's, because we all are familiar with fears and anxieties. I had an era in my life where, where, where fears were especially palpable. And, and on one particular assault, woke me up in the middle of the night, and I moved into scripture. I moved especially into the Philippians passage. The Philippians, you know, think about those things that are good and true and noble and worthy. And I did that. It didn't work. It didn't work. But I was pleased that I was able to do it. I was, I was trying to have my mind dwell on things that were true. And that was three, four hours of trying to battle fears and anxieties. The next day, through various circumstances... The, there was a simple refrain that, um, that came from Scripture. And it was this. You forgot to speak to me. You forgot to speak to me. I was thinking about Scripture. It was, and, and I was trying to have Scripture take over my soul. But I never simply spoke out to the Lord who invites me to speak from my heart. I never simply said... Jesus, I, I don't think I'm going to die from this, but I feel like I might. And, and I feel like a bit of a baby because I'd rather not die this particular way. And, and I feel like I'm not even con- in control of my own mind. What is it? You just, there's no rules to this. You speak from your heart. This is the God who knows your heart but one of, the, one of the things that is striking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom in which we, which we live, is he still wants to hear it from you. He wants you to speak it. There's something he values in you putting words on the hardship and the challenges of life. So he, we could stop here, and this would be more than enough to, to point us to the Jesus who who cares about our souls and wants to, he, he speaks and then he invites you to speak in response to him. This would be more than enough. Be more than enough for us to, to say, rather than thinking about the Lord, we are going to speak to him. Let's consider, consider the passage just a little bit more. 
Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Here's the first stanza. Here is the psalmist inviting you in to speak from your heart to the one who loves you and is close. And, and he hears. And when he hears, by the way, he never merely hears. It means he is going to do something. There are no such things as passive verbs with the Lord. When he sees, when he hears, it means heaven is in motion. We might not know all the details of that motion, but it is indeed in motion. We, we cry out to the Lord. In this particular cry, sometimes in, in the cries of a child, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, 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 Mommy, 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 you, you, you can't help but say the name of the person who you look to for rescue. And that's what you find in this particular cry. The word Lord appears, and the word Lord appears in two different forms. The, the first form is, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, who comes very close and makes promises to your people. And the promise goes like this. Exodus 34, 6 is in in, in the psalmist's mind. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, quick to forgive sins. The God who comes very close the God who, in, before Exodus 34, it, when, when, when the Lord spoke these words to Moses, he descended, it says, from a cloud, and he stood with him. He stood with him. So the psalmist is first remembering that, that our God is the one who comes very, very close in love. And then he uses the other word for Lord, which is master. You are the one who is over all things. He is identifying God as the one who comes close and the one who is very strong. This is, this is our Jesus. The one who with a word stills the ocean and the one who, who comes so close that his shade blocks us from the noonday sun. This, this would be enough. This would be enough to today to identify the troubles on our soul and then simply speak them to him. This would be enough. But the psalmist has a movement to it. And let's follow where the psalmist takes us. The, the trouble that the psalmist is identifying is so severe, it feels as though the person is hanging by their, their fingertips and they are going to drown. The water is up to here and it's going to go over their head. The question is, what, what in that dire situation, are you, what is the truth that the Spirit will give to you? You need something quickly. You need something very simple. You're not, it's not a matter of simply having coffee and meditating on a passage. It has to be very, very close to you. Stress, by the way, it, it, sometimes it can make us lose our minds. For example, when my, my wife and I are, are going to be married 41 years tomorrow. 
Is that true? Well, good. We'll both remember this year. Uh, the reason I say that is because when, when we were married, we decided to write our own vows. It's, you know, just thought it was very nice. And, and so she said her vows first. I've never been married before. So I didn't realize it was a bit of an overwhelming experience. Uh, and, and then when it came time to say my vows, my mind was completely blank. It, there, was, there was nothing in my mind. Nothing. I wasn't thinking it was a great day. It was, a, it was just nothing. It was completely blank. I'd never had that experience. The, and, and I had to say vows. I knew that. So what I did was I just sort of imitated her vows because I heard what she said. And so I simply repeated what she said back to her without, without, without changing the names a little bit. And it was, it was bad. And what I didn't realize is the vows were actually in my pocket. And I could have read them because I was prepared for it. My point is that that in the midst of things that are dire, you, you need something really quick. You need something that has some oomph to it that is going to be part of the Lord's rescue of you. So that's, that's where the passage takes us. The question is, what, what is this psalmist suggesting to us that we should remember in the midst of our fears and anxieties? And he says this. He talks about our sins. Now, he is not suggesting that the reason for our fears and anxieties is our own sins. He's not suggesting that. He assumes that we are people who are fearful and anxious. Sometimes we turn to the Lord. Sometimes we don't turn to the Lord. Sometimes we remember heaven and things. Fear is usually telling the story something bad is going to happen. Well, we can even remember heaven. Something good is going to happen, but that's... Somehow that is not enough to eradicate the fears and anxieties of the present because we have to go through some pretty dark times before we get there. The psalmist suggests that we confess our sins to the Lord and we remember that he is the God who forgives. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Here's the passage. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities... O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, we are controlled by you. Therefore, you are to be feared. In other words, we are controlled by you even more than the fears that are around us. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? It goes something like this. The... key words that Jesus speaks to you in the midst of your fears and anxieties is I am with you. That's what fears and anxiety wants. They want the right person. And the right person comes to you. The only thing that can separate us from himself and his promises are our own sins. That's the, in a similar way that that's what breaks up a human relationship. It's our sins that fracture relationships. And they can fracture our relationship with the Lord. What the Lord is, is speaking to you in a, sort of in an emergency way. Here's what you need. Quick, grab onto this. That with him, there is forgiveness of sins. As Exodus 34 identifies. The one who is quick 
to forgive sins. It's not that your sins have caused these fears, but your sins are the only thing that can, can separate you from the Lord. And now, knowing that he delights in forgiving sins, because there is no other made-up God who delights in forgiving sins. Every other made-up God, they will come to you in their made-up form, and they will ask you to be a better person and to do more homage to the God before you're okay. Nobody could invent the God who forgives sins for his own name's sake. Not because we've been so so sanctified in the way we've asked forgiveness. He forgives because that is who he is. That is what he desires to do. That is what's on his heart. And, And then from there, we remember that he is the God who is with us. Martin Luther identified Psalm 130 is a Pauline psalm. Obviously, Paul didn't write it, but it has Paul's fingerprints sort of all over it. So let me insert a little section from Romans 8 from the Apostle Paul. If God is for us, who can be against us? Most of you are probably familiar with this passage. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us for forgiveness of sins. What Paul is doing is is he basically saying forgiveness of sins is is the entrance into the beauty of the gospel of Christ, the beauty of good news. It opens up this, this entire kingdom of, of riches to the people who are united to Jesus. He didn't even spare his own son. It was his desire to, to give himself for us. Do you think that he's not going to be generous to you now? Do you think having... Having given up himself, he's now going to be this God who is very, very far away from you. His very purpose and forgiveness of sins was to be with you and you to be with him. Nothing could separate you. And so he goes on and he says, because of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his interceding for you. By the way, his interceding for you is not, as you know, it's not an interceding where, where the son who loves you goes to a persnickety father and says, Father, please realize this is what I have done for, the, for, for our people, so forgive them. It doesn't go like that. It's, it's the, father, is, the father delights to forgive. But he has chosen to honor the son by having the son speak to us on our behalf. It's, that's, that's the point of it. It's not that he is reluctant to forgive. It is, he wants the son to be honored for all eternity. And the one who is honored for all eternity speaks your very name. No condemnation, united with Jesus. Not only to the father, but to the heavenly realms, to those who were overhearing. And... And then we remember that he is present. Nothing, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, or Satan himself can now separate us from the love of Christ. That's, that's the apostles Paul, Paul's logic coming out of the death and resurrection of Jesus. My grandchildren, when they stay at our house, 
there's, there is a room right next to ours where, where we sleep. And that is the coveted room because it is closest to the people who love them and they actually think we're sort of powerful still. So you know, their rescuers are close by. And, and then as the night goes on, and there, there are two boys perhaps who are in that room, they, one of them will inevitably come out of the room and he will want to be closer. And occasionally we can persuade him to go back in his room, but sometimes there's no point to it. And he gets in bed with us. It's a queen-size bed. I think, it's, I think they cut it short somehow. So it's a small queen-size bed. And he comes into our bed and he insists on touching both of us. That's, that's what presence is. And then he falls asleep immediately. And meanwhile, I'm up the entire night because I have this hot little kid touching me all the time and rolling around. That's, that's what forgiveness of sins means. If you regarded our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. Therefore, we can be little kids who pop right in bed with you. And you invite us in, and you don't care if you lose a night's sleep because we're hot and sweaty and everything else all over you. One of, among my many fears... Uh, one of them is a kind of asphyxiation fear. It's um, drowning fear. And I, I, think the, I think it's in part because, because I've been around water uh, and I've been in near drowning situations. And I know there are surfers who tell stories about drowning, Chris. Uh, and, and they always say it's not as bad as it seems. It's, it's, I, I, I was reading something. I think it was from your Mavericks book. Uh, I was reading something from the Mavericks book that was suggesting that that you know, once you're down, you, know, you, you might struggle for a bit, but then you relax and it's all okay. I think it's all a lie. I, think, I don't think anybody is telling the truth. Um, uh, so, so that's sort of one of my fears. I can remember one time this fear acted up in a more profound way, and the question is, how do I turn to the Lord in the midst of it? All right, let's see if we can follow. Forgiveness of sins means that he is present. Okay, what does it mean that he is present? There are two versions of that. One is that he's a nice guy who can watch me drown, says, I'm sorry, I'm just, you know, I'm sorry you're drowning. Or, well, here's what I would like him to say. Ed, I can promise you, you will never drown. I can promise that to you. Obviously, the scripture doesn't make those kinds of promises. But he does say that that Ed, be careful of this, because nothing can separate me from you. You cannot even imagine what my presence will mean when you go through who knows what else it might be. You cannot even imagine. So what you're going to do is you're going to live in the grace that you've received, the presence that you have right now by your spirit, and you're going to focus on today because you're not drowning today. There are other things that are in front of you, and that is what will occupy your, you, your calling in the moment. And then as you look out to the possibility of drowning, by the way, our fears always tell the, the story wrong. They tell all kinds of stories, and we never get it right. Uh, certainly bad things happen, but never as we surmise them. You know, something like this. Try to imagine the future with a different kind of faith where he will be with you and in his presence means he will give you all the grace that you need at that time. What the, will that grace look like? Who cares? It will look like endurance. 
It will look like confidence that he is with us. It, it, it might look like comfort in the midst of it. But here is what he says. Because of forgiveness of sins, nothing can separate you from the one who will always give you everything that you need in Christ. Which begins to put fears in a slightly different context. Where it, it, it almost raises the question, I wonder what form his presence will take and his power will take in this upcoming very difficult situation. It becomes something not a a dread, but a, hmm, he's up to something. And I want my eyes to be wide open to see what it is that, that he does. Here's the heart of the psalm. Forgiveness of sins. We could stop there and that would be more than enough. So the key is to to simply confess sins. What are the things that you love more than Jesus? What are the things you do in in, in dark places where where you think you're not seen? Simply confess your sins to him. But then you... You continue the story of the God who delights in forgiving sins, the God who reveals our sins for the sake of his relationship with us, and then the God who, who promises us his very presence and nothing will separate us from him. And, and then there's a third movement. And the third movement, it is not assuming that the difficulty is gone. It's... It is willing to wait in the midst of the difficulty. Now, there are two different ways in Scripture that we can wait. One is a a very desperate, how long, O Lord? In other words, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it any longer. How long, O Lord? There's another one that, here's where the psalm is very mature for us. It says, I can wait. I can wait. Because whatever is coming, I know my God is with me. And and I will see the goodness of the Lord. My eyes will behold. This is the more mature version of waiting. It goes like this. Because I know that nothing can separate me from the love of God and Christ, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In 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 his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. You can almost get a sense from the rhythm of it. I'm I'm willing to wait for the long haul. There's there's not the same urgency because you know the strong one and the loving one is with you. And he has promised to be with you. You are certain of that. And your fears are still there, but they are coupled with with the reality of, of Jesus with you. Then it has this very charming repetition. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. Watchmen is waiting for the morning. What are they? They're vigilant right now. But they know the morning is going to come. They know. They know something good is coming. That, that the, shadow of the, the shadow of death will be past. They're confident of that. And so they're waiting a child, there are two different ways I could wait. One would be, Daddy, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are, it's, I, it's, it's not waiting. It's, it's, I, I, I don't know if I can trust you. But another is, is, 
is to be a true child rather than to have to figure out how the world works to control things in your own way, to, to say, my father has this. He is the one who is in, in control. I don't understand all the details, but I am a child before my father. One of our goals in life, and certainly with our fears, is how can we grow up to become like a child? A child who, my father has this, so, so I can wait. I can wait. And I know my father well enough to know something really good is up ahead. I don't know exactly what it will be or how, what form it will take, but I'm confident that that's, that's what the resurrection points out and I, I, united with Christ, will find the same thing. And then the final stanza. Because the question is here, we, we cry out to the Lord, we remember his promises, his presence, we, we wait we endure in the midst of hardships. So it raises the question, what's next? What's left? And this is characteristic of the Psalms. Speak about these things. Speak, don't simply cry out to the Lord. Cry out to other people. Go public with your praise of God. Speak about this to others. Oh, Israel, Here comes this private plea to something very public. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. With the Lord, there is steadfast love. Hear me, believe me, with the Lord is steadfast love. With him is plentiful, generous redemption, fullness of life. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What's the opposite of fear? The opposite of fear is to cry out rather than cry on our beds to speak to him. The opposite of fear is to, is to remember in forgiveness of sins, the strong one and the loving one is, 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 is attached to you. The opposite of fear is I wait with a certain confidence. The opposite of fear is to speak about the goodness of God, to praise him together to speak about it to another human being. It's something as simple as, as perhaps a friend said, well, how have you been? And it becomes an occasion to say, well, here's how I've been. I've been struggling with fears and anxieties, but, but I think I'm learning more of the Christian life, where the, the Christian life is, is not the alleviation or the disappearance of fears and anxieties. By the way, you, you see what would happen if we had no more fears and anxieties? Why would we depend on Jesus? No, life is now within our grasp. We can manage life our own. Fears and anxieties are this occasion to depend in new ways. To be able to say, in the midst of my fears and anxieties, I know that he has sworn his affection to me and to you in Jesus Christ. That's what I know. You see, that's, that's speaking the praise of God to another. And there are, there are all kinds of variations on, on that particular theme. So, what are we anticipating? Not that fears are going to disappear, but they are infused more and more with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you'll say with, with Paul, you feel the affliction all around you and the fears abound, but you're not crushed. You're perplexed, you're vexed, but you're not driven to despair. 
perhaps you will will look for him with hope in the midst of your fears and and tell a slightly different story where, where you look forward with confidence that whatever it is that's up ahead, which you can never predict fully, that he is the God who, is, who will be with you for certain. Let's stand. Let's stand. I know you have a tradition here to stand with the scripture. And, and perhaps it's the scripture is more resonant now having, having considered it briefly. Here's, here's the scripture for you. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are to be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord.